2: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy.
0: Ask yourself, do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? Really? I want a safe America, safe from COVID, safe from crime and looting, safe from racially motivated violence, safe from bad cops. Let me be crystal clear, safe from four more years of Donald Trump.
3: Well, Murphy, that kind of cuts to the the crux of it. Do, uh, you know, Joe Biden uh, is really a frustrating target for Donald Trump because he doesn't look the part uh, of the radical left-wing socialist who's tearing society apart.
4: <laughs> well, you know, I, I thought that was a great line when he said uh, – you know, look at me. I'm not a radical socialist. I can tell you in the spirit of Jack Benny, I was thinking for a minute, but no, I I, I don't think he is. Uh, I think there are some headwinds in one wing of his party, but I thought that was a great political move and a needed one to get out in front and define himself and not be swept up in, you know, all of Trump's rhetoric to try to move the campaign to something other than firing Trump. So great day for Biden. Good speech. And uh, let's talk about it with our guest today. We have a, a superstar hackeru joining us. You want to introduce David? You, uh, introduce him, David. You've worked together.
3: I, I sure. Well, we actually we will we will be working together because Adisu Demissie is going to be a, a, a fellow at oh. the University of Chicago Institute of Politics this fall. But most recently, he uh, ma- he uh, managed the uh, the. Democratic National Convention for the Biden campaign. I worked with our buddy Stephanie Cutter, who uh, who managed it from the DNC side. And uh, and before that was Cory Booker's campaign manager, and one of the brightest lights I dealt with uh, during that campaign as I was covering that campaign uh, for CNN. So welcome, my friend.
2: Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here with two of the greatest hacks, hackaroos. <laughs> well, the oldest hacks.
3: That's probably truer to to the point there but uh (laughs) you know i before we get into i want we we are at this pivotal moment in the campaign and uh i I really you know we should lay it out uh, as it is before we do um i just want your quick thoughts on the rnc from the uh, the standpoint of someone who was deeply involved in constructing the dnc uh what was what what did they accomplish what didn't they accomplish what was your sense watching it as a competing producer?
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think they accomplished much, but, um, you know, our convention, the the democratic convention was intended to both sort of solidify, uh, our base and reach out to disaffected Republicans, moderates, independents who may have voted for Trump in 2016, but who, um, are, are, skeptical now if not totally decided not to vote for him this time and and I think we accomplished both those things trump essentially doubled down on his base uh which was already with him uh uh, uh to start with uh and you know made a few token uh, appear you know uh, attempts to outreach to to the center. But um, even the polling we've seen from ABC and others this week has shown that it didn't really move the needle for him. It certainly moved the needle for the Democrats in terms of Biden's favorability rating, at least. And at this point, that's what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the horse race. I'm looking at do people you know, like Joe Biden? Do they like Donald Trump? Do they think he deserves four more years? Do they think Biden will be a viable replacement? And I think Democrats did what we needed to do as, in terms of putting Biden in that position. And Trump just did more of the same we've seen for three and a half years, and uh, I don't think it's going to do much for him in the long run.
4: Did you guys expect anything different, though? Because tr- Trump's always has what I call primaryitis. You know, every everything <laughs> to him is a Republican primary. I, I don't know if he got the memo that he won. Uh, so... I, that was the trump convention i kind of expected doubling down on the voters he already has which are not the voters he needs I, I give him a better grade than i would have going in just based on the general incompetence i see around trump land that they were smart enough not to be too ambitious with production pick one set a fairly attractive place in the Middle library and just lock that down and then two big set pieces and you can argue about the use of you know, some of those buildings, I find it offensive. But from a pure television point of view, I think they did do a pretty good job on optics. I thought the Pence speech looked really good. Yeah. I thought the, as offensive as the kind of, you know, dictator for life aspect of the White House thing <laughs> was, it was visually good TV. Uh, so I'll, I'll give the Republicans a little benefit there, but thematically I agree. Was there anything you were worried they'd do, though, that you thought that might be a better fastball?
2: I feel like they trotted every... uh you know, Republican person of color out there to try to, in my opinion, it what had nothing to do with appealing to voters of color, but trying to make, uh, you know, white voters, particularly suburban white voters, feel- except in the
3: audience at the White House, that that exactly. that that was kind of bizarre. The reverse shot: where were all those black friends of Donald Trump? They were- exactly they were too smart to be there. Who wanted to get COVID?
2: <laughs> that is exactly right. But nine hours of you know playing this game of, of showing that, you know, no, seriously, he's not a racist. And then suddenly you go to this one hour of Trump doing Trump things at the White House with an all white audience, et cetera. So I did think, you know, I thought that they, they might change, especially because, you know, uh, this was their last best opportunity, certainly before the debates, to 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 make any kind of pivot. But it turns out Donald Trump is Donald Trump and yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump's Republican Party is not going to let that happen.
3: Let me just uh, l- let me just pose the uh, alternative theory here. Not that Donald Trump isn't Donald Trump. I think that theory has been proven, but I'm t- <laughs> uh, I'm talking about what they were trying to do Um The fact of the matter is he is a base-only guy, and their theory has always been that there are enough white, uh, particularly white, non-college voters out there uh, to win, and that they need to get some of this suburban vote back. and, And, you know, they've adopted a strategy, and that should lead into the discussion of where we are right now. I mean, the convention was really the most forceful rollout of a strategy, which is that uh, you know, anarchists and uh, looters and rioters and arsonists (in parenthesis, black people) are uh, destroying the country and America's cities. They're going to creep up on the border, like uh, the McCloskeys warned you. They're going to they're going to come to your house next uh, and be very afraid. And you know, and there's a reason for this. I mean, it may not be. You know, I'm not making a value judgment about the strategy or about its ultimate efficacy. But if you're the president of the United States and you're presiding over a pandemic in which over 180,000 people have now died and you're largely judged to have mishandled it and you were going to run on an economy that is now in the ditch uh, with over 10 percent unemployment. We'll see where the number is at the end of this week. Uh, Many small businesses gone. Uh, you know, he needs an alternative narrative, and his his style is to try and change the subject. And he spent the whole convention trying to do that. Pan, the pandemic made you know only cameo appearances, but it isn't a cameo in the lives of Americans. So that that's his problem. But he's doubling down the ante on the on this anti uh Murphy. He's headed to Kenosha today. Uh, he you know last night he came out. Uh, at a press conference that was ostensibly about COVID. He did two minutes on all the miraculous things that are happening with COVID. And then the rest of it was just a screed uh, on uh, on Biden, which he followed up on. Look, I've been around race all my life uh, in politics. I covered it as a reporter. I've seen it as a strategist, worked for a lot of uh, candidates of color in, in venues where they were uh, breaking barriers down uh, to to their election, uh, I think this is a serious. It's a serious issue, Murphy. I don't. You know, you've seen it too. Um, I think this what he's playing is audacious. It's disgusting in many ways, but it, but we shouldn't dismiss the fact that it could have power.
4: Oh, not at all. Look, uh, Trump's problem is he's so clumsy. If he were more deft, um, some of you know some of those issues do have power. I I think Trump's mistake has been, as usual, overplaying it, doing it in a coarse way that alienates the suburban voters he's trying to get. Now, that said, if I were judging the first couple of days out of the convention, I would scorn for Trump until yesterday when Biden kind of reclocked the narrative, because it is a fact that the more ultra progressive wing of the democratic party is a target rich environment for the republicans and you've seen plenty of that in the rhetoric. Biden's job is to not let that define him as as the key element of the election. And in the primary, he did a pretty good job of that. He kind of went to his Biden path and ultimately after some early setbacks, he prevailed with it. But he can't let that go and I think yesterday he moved to reclaim that ground. But you know, if you back up, we have been talking about looting and violence and tension uh for the last oh week plus and that's not bad for trump if that that debate is not the debate of firing trump it's not the debate of covid and it's not the debate of the economy falling off the cliff so i think biden moved aggressively yesterday maybe a day or two late but he did it and i think he'll have to prosecute it for a while to reset the race back back on fire donald trump uh which is where it kind of wants to be but yeah anytime we're debating whether or not the Democratic Party is tough enough on looters. And there's just enough noise from the activist left to cloud this up a little bit. They're not helping Biden. Um, you know, Trump's, Trump's got some oxygen. And if I were Biden, I'd be in, into cutting off that oxygen. And I think he, again, made a big move in that way, you know, with the speech, which I thought was excellent, thematically right on. And I like it quickly that he's opening up this new front of a message I've always thought, which is, wait a minute, I'm the stability guy. You know, the cities are on fire, the economy screwed up, and COVID is a clown show because of Donald Trump. You know, I'm the opposite of that. I'm Mr. Safety. And I think that's a powerful move for Biden, and he ought to stay on it every day.
3: Adesu, uh it seems like to me that Biden is, is, is threading a, a needle here uh, because there is uh, uh, a great deal of outrage about police-involved shootings of uh Of black uh, people of color generally African Americans Um, it is a um, you know it is a a a crisis uh, but uh, you know on the other hand he doesn't want to side with those who have taken the protests to looting arson rioting and so on Uh, how do you feel he struck that balance yesterday
2: I think yesterday was about as good as i've seen him and and i do think it's a needle but it's not a needle with a particularly small opening here i mean peaceful protests good violent protests bad is is the message mm-hmm. and it's the one that that biden's been saying since the beginning of this back in back in may and june and and just reiterated it yesterday as forcefully as as i've seen him do it but it is not hard to be for peaceful protests and against violent protests and against those who are trying to exploit this moment for their own, you know, ends that are not racial justice and justice in in policing and, and what have you. And so uh, I agree a hundred percent with what Mike said as well, which is, which is as the more we're talking about this, the less we're talking about what Joe Biden wants to talk about. And frankly, as you said, what Americans want to talk about, which is our country is in the midst of crisis that has been made worse by, and in some instances been caused by Donald Trump and his presidency um, and, and, those primarily are the covid crisis and the economic crisis that comes from it and so shifting back to that turf is good for for joe biden it's exactly what he tried to do yesterday and i think did did very effectively and i do think this is a a blip uh the this sort of conversation that we're having right now because the republicans had donald trump had four days to essentially put this front and center but we've got you know, nine weeks to go. And I think the American, this is not a cameo for the American people. COVID isn't, it is still the number one issue. And it's where this, um, this campaign is going to be fought for the, for the rest. And it's, it's Joe Biden's turf.
4: All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors.
3: You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous, but is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car,
1: and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in, and you just you get that feeling, and it starts in your stomach. It's not yeah,
3: a good one. and 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 like you're on your way to something good, a a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it. Except there is an answer now, and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band.
1: Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more.
3: The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects. Zero. For as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band it stimulates a nerve in the wrist
1: that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift.
3: I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience. We sent one to our engineer, who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports a hundred percent cure. Don't fall for those cheap
1: bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money back
3: guarantee. So head to Relief Band, ReliefBand, R E L I E F B A N D. Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Biden did two things, uh, a few things yesterday that I thought were important. Uh, one is that he was unequivocal in his uh, positioning on, uh, on the riots and and, and some of the destruction that's been done. Let, let's take a listen to that clip.
0: Rioting is not protesting. Looting is not protesting. Setting fires is not protesting. None of this is protesting. It's lawlessness, plain and simple. And those who do it should be prosecuted.
4: Yeah, there you go.
3: Yeah, that, that was very, very clear. But the other thing he did was challenge Trump uh, to 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 make the same unequivocal statement to his own supporters uh, essentially saying I am against violence wherever it emanates from uh, including violence against citizens uh, from police uh, but uh, uh, you know the president is unwilling to uh, make that uh, same declaration. Um, and a little bit later in the day Trump, uh, responded to uh, Biden at, at this press conference and here's what he had to say about this caravan of people, supporters of his who gathered in the suburbs and rode into Portland uh, in a caravan miles long with paintball guns uh, to shoot pro- uh, at protesters. Uh, uh, one of the one of the um, vigilantes ended up being uh, shot in the, in all of this. But here's what Trump said when he was asked about these, these folks who, who stirred, who, who came into Portland essentially to stir up uh, trouble.
0: Well, I understand they had large numbers of people that were supporters, but that was a peaceful protest and paint is not, and paint is a defensive mechanism, paint is not bullets. Uh, your supporters, bullet. your supporters, and they are your supporters indeed, uh, shot a young gentleman who uh, and killed him, not with paint, but with a bullet. And I think it's disgraceful. These people, they protested peacefully. They went in very peacefully.
3: Murphy, he went on to defend <laughs> the 17 the year old kid who drove to uh, Kenosha with a, a semi automatic weapon and ended up killing two people. He's now been charged with uh, six crimes, including first degree homicide. Uh, and uh, the president. Uh, really laid out uh, the argument that this kid was uh, just acting in self-defense. Doesn't that just make Biden's point?
4: Oh, I think so. Um, you know, again, Trump is always, you, you can tell Trump is feeling like it's slipping away from him because he's jabbing kind of wildly. He's focused on, quote, his people. He sees the world through this prism of two hockey teams. And, oh, my team went out there and they only use paint uh ball guns on people. Therefore, they're the good guys. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a quagmire form of style. And it it does fuel the fire. And I don't think his version of kind of the Frank Rizzo school of um, uh, policing uh, is going to get his folks back. So that said, it is a limited victory For Trump whenever we're talking about disorder. And I I frankly think the governor of Washington needs to get a phone call from somebody in the Democratic Party and say, look, this Portland thing has gone on for months and months and months. You know, we have National Guards, we have curfews, they can step it up a little bit, or we're going to have the nightly Portland show. Ah, uh, which is going to take over the campaign, and that's better for Trump than Biden, even with Biden doing a better job of pushing back. So,
3: well, the governor of Washington would be interested in getting that call, but the governor of Oregon probably would be more relevant. <laughs> oh,
4: sorry, late night poker game, but you, uh, you, you take my point, Kate, the good governor of Oregon. There's something going wrong in Portland, and it, it, there needs to yes, be. Yes, but you know
3: what? You know, you know what? That is true, but it is also true that when the when the situation in Portland was calming down. Trump sent in federal agents, and it all got inflamed again. The situation in Portland was calming it down again and this miles long caravan came in and stirred the thing up we're about to see the same thing in
2: kenosha i mean this is what he does he
3: he he is i saw the lieutenant governor of wisconsin
2: say this yesterday it's like a big barrel of gasoline coming in to the fire is what he does he wants it to happen and so it is if you are governor brown or if you are the mayor of portland or if you're the mayor of kenosha or governor evers in wisconsin you are you you are trying to put out the fire you have this great big barrel of gasoline from the white house that keeps shooting at it and it's up to us honestly it's up to the press and others to to not take the bait at some level because there's only so much you can do the white house is a big platform he's he's got a big bully pulpit to try to pour that gas
4: i i hear you guys on all that and and i i know trump is the ultimate arsonist fireman he's setting the fire and then running around the corner with a fire hat on five minutes later saying pay me to put out the fire but the point is, we're talking about Trump's agenda set now. And yesterday was Biden's first big move to reclock. I applaud that. And Biden, I think the woke department of the Biden campaign might have slowed him down a few days before he could say, you know, looters ought to be prosecuted. He did. And now I think it's turning Biden's way. But again, if I were the Democratic governor of Oregon, there's things I can do to help because, uh, it, it, you know, the, the litigation on blame plays to Trump getting Portland out of the headlines, getting it so Trump supporters can't do SUV parades through crowds by controlling things tighter, uh, even if you get into the curfew business for a while, uh, that's going to be important or this thing could keep going. And that is good for Trump.
3: Yeah. Well, one question I have for you guys is if you're Biden, yes, he made a very good speech yesterday. I think he hit all the right notes. But what do you do you know what? Strategically, should you do because Trump's going to continue this. Now, do you just wait and counterpunch and hope that he oversteps, as he undoubtedly will? As you know, and will he? He went. He went even darker later in the evening on uh, Laura Ingram's show, uh, which we'll hear in a second. But do you? Uh, you know, my thought was: Do you carve that spot up that he did? Uh, do you carve that speech up and and do a 60-second spot and run it, Uh, you know, and try and make sure, because the hard thing is he doesn't have the megaphone that Trump has. He doesn't have the White House. He can't command national, uh, you you know, he can't command the sort of uh, attention that Trump does, in part because he won't light himself on fire the way Trump does. Uh, But, you know, that speech can fade pretty quickly, and a lot of people will not have seen it.
4: Oh, yeah, I would. I mean, I would just say, look, we have 10 days to move the needle on Joe Biden is for law and order. People know Joe Biden is for police reform and, you know, for social justice. He, he's he's doing all right there, but he, he needs to buttress this up. And I, I think he, he can't wish it away with one speech. He now has the messaging. Right. I think Biden has two challenges. One is to protect his flank on this stuff, and he's he's making progress, and he's got the right message now. So go all in. Go all in. Force it through, and then pivot to taking the economy away from Trump, because that is still Trump's lifeline that he's perceived as a better economic manager. And I don't want to be Joe Biden going through October with a mania in the media about coming vaccines and Trump fanning the fire of that, whether it's true or not, and people thinking about who can reset the economy and being behind Donald Trump and that perception. I think if he can do those two things, he'll hold his position and win, win the race. But uh, I, I don't think, I think you're, you're right on this, David. Giving one really good speech doesn't make it go away, particularly when, as I think somebody said, Trump's going to be in this business as long as he can get away with it. So I would I would engage.
2: I agree. No, I agree. I don't think you can not engage. I think I think you got to counterpunch and pivot. You know, not to get too boxing analogy on it, but you got to spin off of this a little bit as well. And I think that's more than the the direct uh, counterattack on on um, law and order that that Joe Biden made yesterday. It was also the uh, to me the most effective piece was he is the chaos candidate. Donald yeah, Trump is the yep, chaos I candidate agree. for four years. He's been the chaos candidate, and he is the problem. Let's
3: listen to. Uh... That
0: He keeps telling us that he was president. You'd feel safe. Well, he is president, whether he knows it or not. Whether
2: he knows it or not. (laughs) Yeah. Nice.
4: By the way, I got to do a plug. Who was the most accurate pundit in all of American politics, for once not me, predicting Trump would be the chaos presidency before anybody else did? He totally saw it. Governor Jeb Bush said it during the campaign early. (laughs) And he, he nailed it. Yeah. He was, Jeb was totally right about this. Is where the went.
3: only reason that he was uh, out front on that was that nobody at that time actually contemplated the reality that Trump could be president, uh, and that was a big mistake. Uh, because here we, uh, here we are. Let's take a minute to do an ad, and we'll be right back. You know, when he was asked about this trip to Kenosha yesterday, Trump had an interesting reaction.
2: It could exacerbate tensions and increase violence. Do you give any uh, consideration for Well, it that? could
0: also increase enthusiasm and it could increase uh, love and respect for our country.
3: I thought that was... Uh, You know, a really interesting concession on his part. He's going there to increase enthusiasm, but not enthusiasm for America. He thinks it's going to increase enthusiasm among his voters.
2: Mm
4: -hmm. Everything is him. You know, it's just who he is. And and
3: that, I think, and I think that as Trent, when that becomes, you know, transparent, and and Biden hammered away at this yesterday, I think it is a, a, you know, his strength then becomes, or what he perceives as his strength. Uh, then becomes uh, his weakness. I mean, he's defying the mayor, the police chief, the governor, everyone asked him not to come, and he's coming nonetheless. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens today. So later in the evening, he went to see Laura Ingram, or she came to see him.
0: I don't even like to mention Biden because he's not controlling anything. Who, who
3: do
2: you they think is them. pulling Biden's strings? Uh, is it former Obama
0: People officials? that you've never heard of. People that are in the dark shadows, people that... Oh, what does are, that
2: mean? That sounds like conspiracy
0: theory, dark shadows. No, what is people that? that you haven't heard of. They're, they're people that are on the streets. They're people that are controlling the streets.
3: Even Laura Ingram had to interject and try and save Trump from himself in this clip when he suggested... <laughs> and that suggests, says something, by the way. And, and, you know, she when she said, well, that sounds like a conspiracy theory where Trump, you know, where Trump says that, you know, hints that... Uh, he. Biden is not hints says Biden is being controlled by dark forces. They're the people who are on the streets. They're the you know the the question is, how far does that go? You know, before it just boomerangs on him, and he looks like what it is.
4: well, I don't think it gets much worse because if this eight point data is true, and you know, I think polls are a lagging indicator he's hit about the most bottom he can it's not like the Laura Ingram audience is now going to be oh my goodness this racial insensitivity is killing me I'm going to have to switch to OAN to get no of course of course but 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 the but
3: but that clip went viral and it was on all the newscasts outside of Fox News this morning I'm just saying I think there's not you know now on the flip side uh, I got to tell you guys this story. Back in 1983, I was covering the mayoral race in Chicago. Jane Byrne was the incumbent mayor. Uh, she had a lot of uh, a lot of problems. Uh, she was being challenged by Rich Daley, who ultimately became mayor years later, and Harold Washington, the first African American to make a serious challenge for mayor. Late in the race, Daley was taking white too many white votes from Byrne. She decided to go full racial. She showed up at a housing project, and I'm watching the news. I'm covering this race. I'm watching the news. There she is walking through Cabrini-Green, and she's being essentially hassled, jostled, pushed around by residents of Cabrini-Green. And I'm thinking, where's her detail? Why aren't they around her? And uh, the answer was, that was exactly the picture they wanted on TV that night. And I thought about that when I saw Rand Paul leaving the White House and pro, you know dem- demonstrators jostling him. I wondered, by the way, why he wasn't, why he was ushered out the way he was ushered out. Uh, but you know, you saw, you heard the, uh, you heard the Biden folks exulting about these pictures and others like it. Uh, Kellyanne Conway saying, if you know, this is. The more disorder, the better for us. You,
4: you mean the Trump folks exulting? You mean the, Trump, yeah. Yeah,
3: t- what did I say?
4: You said the Biden you said the Biden. People. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. The Trump folks, You're already folks, in yeah. enough trouble there. You got to...
3: <laughs> Wait a second, man. I, at least I know who the governor of Oregon is. But anyway... <laughs> I think anyway. we're
4: tied now. Uh, but go ahead. Go ahead. Do, do, do Trump exulting.
3: <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, I mean, I do think those images have to be concerning to Democrats. And this goes to your point before, Mike. Democrats have to, you know... It, It it is not in their interest. It is not in the country's interest, but it's also not in their interest to allow these pictures of Trump. By the same token, uh, Adisu, I think that Trump thinks it is in his interest and therefore he is not averse to stirring up trouble.
2: Absolutely. No, that's I I think we are taping this before he goes to Kenosha, but I think this is exactly why he is going to Kenosha. He wants to be protested. He wants to be shouted down. He wants to stir up trouble in a place that was, you know, healing after what happened to Jacob Blake uh, and what's happened over the last week or so starting to calm down. He can't afford for it to calm down. He wants it to heat up. He wants the Rand Paul picture to go out there. And I do think that is something that Democrats don't want or need. Um, But this is what you were saying before. This is sort of the power of the presidency. Where he goes, cameras follow. And where he goes protest follows for very good reason. And so it is going to be a difficult that that is a difficult needle to thread because it's something over which the Biden campaign and the Democratic Party has no control. And it's, you know, it's catnip for the press. And I don't mean that pejoratively. It's just it's it's very hard to not cover the president of the United States going to a a protest hotspot and being protested. And and so I think to, to that end, what what Mike, what you were saying earlier, the Biden campaign probably has to do a lot of this through paid media, And not just through our media, they have to put ads out there and put content into social media that pushes their message and just not be afraid to counterpunch and put it right back on Trump and characterize it for what it is, which is him stewing chaos for political gain.
4: I'm a big fan of using September to drain the energy out of issues I don't want to deal with in October. And so I think engaging with Biden doing his Officer O'Biden routine in a loud and unshy way, because the Biden campaign, I think, is realizing that they're – They've got the woke vote. Woke vote's done. Now we're into scared white suburbanites. Okay. So reassure him that Biden, you know, gets the cop part of the good cop part of the equation. Remember, Biden has the police unions. They could have some good media with real cops who play like real good cops saying, look, you know, you want things back to normalcy with a law and order president who's not out of his mind, making our job worse, making the situation worse. You know, you got him at Joe Biden.
3: OK, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor. and We'll be right back.
4: What's the restart in the economy? What, it, it, is, it has been kind of a dogged thing that Trump has hung on to this better economic manager perception, by you know, five to 10 points, kind of depending on how you poll it. What would you do if it's 12 days from now, and we've litigated the hell out of this, and the issue is becoming, which is good for Biden, a bit boring and spent uh, on all this law and order stuff. Joe's move is, is tough on law. Well, become and boring numbers. and spent if,
3: if, it, if it subsides, and if Trump doesn't succeed in stirring it up.
4: Yeah, but the third or fourth stirrup starts to be weaker once Biden's established himself as being on the lawn. He'll, he'll you know, Trump is responding to a perceived opportunity that, you know, Biden is an OAC uh BDS left-wing police suspicious democrat and it, Biden's not that guy as his speech made clear yesterday. So if the Biden guys make some pivot and want and this thing has less energy in 10 or 12 days, What's the best move to pivot to the economy and how does Biden prosecute that case? Because to me, that's the ballgame.
3: Um, you know, I, I think, well, we'll get a little bit of a clue on this on Friday when the jobs numbers come out. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, one of the controlling factors in this campaign, and Adisu, I'm interested in your view on this, is going to be the path of this virus and how quickly, uh you know progress can, can can be made in terms of um, uh, you know and, and I think the answer is n- very little uh, toward normalcy I, I think we're in a status quo situation until there's a vaccine and um, you know you see c- schools now New York City today postponed the, the opening of their schools by several weeks I just think that you know the college stuff is going poorly um, I, I just think there are you know the problem is Trump is a reality show and reality is encroaching on him and there's only so much he can do to change the subject. And at some point it's going to appear, um, you know, his unwillingness to talk about the actual state of the country, uh, is, is going to be, uh, evident and they, and is going to be more and more of a problem for him. And they need to Uh, weaponize that. Democrats need to weaponize that, as Biden began uh, to do yesterday, as he's been trying to do. The other thing is, I don't think that they, you know, you and this where Murphy, you and I may part. I don't think Democrats should accept that Trump's uh, economic record, um, obviously where we are today is dismal. Uh, Who has benefited is also not a good message for most of America. Uh, And I, I think both of those, I mean, I'd pound away at that. I, I by the way, Adisu, I on I I have to tell you, the one critique I have of the Democratic Convention, which I thought was excellent, I mean really well done, much better than I think anybody anticipated could be done in such a short period of time, was um the absence of a sustained discussion on the economy. It was kind of shoehorned into a place on Wednesday night. Probably could have used about twenty percent more economy in that presentation.
2: It's a fair critique. I think we did as much as we could to tie, and this is where I would point the Biden campaign to as well, and I know they're thinking about this, is tie Trump's mismanagement of the COVID crisis to his inability to manage the recovery. And COVID is still the number one issue in America. People are still at home. It's been six months. Nothing has changed. Nothing has gotten better. And when it's gotten better, it's immediately gotten worse. And I think, you know, Trump has the, this is his sort of enduring strength is he has not just three years of being president, but 15 years of being uh, the number one rated TV show in America and 30 years of a brand as being a businessman that is going to be very difficult to break through in the, in the last two months of this campaign. So I think the best strategy is the COVID crisis where people remain at home, businesses remain closed, people continue to lose their jobs to tie his inability to, 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 to tackle this crisis effectively and manage it to prove the case or to at least be evidence for the case that he is unable or he is unable to, to fix this economy and build us back better as Joe Biden says. And so to me, the, the chaos versus, versus steadiness is obviously a critical piece of this, but the ability of Joe Biden to, um, the ability of Joe Biden to, uh, uh make sure that that this campaign is about Donald Trump, is about his inability to to manage this and his inability to uh get us to the next stage of uh our economic growth is is how we're gonna uh make an economic case that actually resonates with the American people.
4: You know, what surprises me is they don't lean into surrogates on that more because they've got some, you know, Geithner type Clinton and Obama era people who can claim to be part of a management team that ran a great economy. You know, the Buffets of the world, too, from outside government. And I I think Joe ought to be surrounded by those people because Joe doesn't have any built-in economic credibility. Trump has this perception that he was the wizard of the economy, whether it's true or false. And I, I'm not asking Democrats to accept anything, but I, I've been sitting in these endless focus groups in Florida for Republican voters against Trump with these undecided suburbanites. And You know we try the COVID disaster equals economic disaster argument and the pushback we get is look we know trump's kind of a clown but he didn't create COVID. it could have happened to any president um and so you know when they find a cure what trump knows how to do is do the economy we throw a bunch of spots at him and everything and it's kind of hard slogging because biden is very undefined on the economy there's no biden equals good economic manager out there at all biden is a nice guy and a long-term washington politician So uh, it's just it's the thing that bugs me because I think we could have a vaccine mania. It's coming. It's coming. It's great. Even before it might be. And Trump, of course, has already tried to stack the FDA with campaign hacks to control the messaging. Yeah, it's perfect. You're going to get it in a week. And so that's just I think that is a code the Biden people have to crack next. So I'm going to be interested in watching how they how they tackle it.
3: Look, I don't know that. And I I work with Tim Geithner. I work with Larry Summers. I, I have high regard for them. I'm not sure. Who is are the right people uh, uh, out there? And there is a story to tell for Biden uh, around his economic advocacy. But I, I also, I also think that uh, the there are questions to be raised about who the economy that Trump claims to have built. Uh, I mean, he took a great economy, as Biden said, and it isn't great now. But uh, be, uh, accepting that people give him credit for it. The um, question is who, who'd, who benefited from that and who will benefit in the future. I think there is room there. I, I do want to say this um, re- relative to our earlier discussion you ask, You, talk, you guys talk about maximizing. You talk about him speaking to his base. Here's their theory, okay? Uh, Wisconsin, uh, 86% white state. 47% of the vote was non-college. White voters in two thousand and and sixteen, they see hundreds of thousands of people who haven't been reached who uh, fit that cohort. Trump got sixty two percent of them. They want to maximize. They want to bring them out. So they're trying to excite those people. The same is true in Pennsylvania, where forty percent of the vote was non college whites. Michigan, forty two percent, and you know they're talking about Minnesota, uh, which is. A whiter state than the other three, but only 37% of non-college whites voted in 2016. I mean, there is a method to their madness, which is they think there's a reserve of voters out there that they can excite and polarize and activate, uh, and that is their key to winning the electoral college. They know, unless they're completely smoking something, they don't know. They know they're not going to win the popular vote. They're going to lose it by more than they did last time. But this is their theory. Uh, it may be a—I I think it ultimately the math will not work out for them because you can't just excite one element of the electorate and not the rest of the electorate. And suburbanites will be turned off by the vehemence with which Trump is pushing what is a race-based uh, strategy. Uh, but uh, but they, they they do have a theory of the case, and we should acknowledge it.
2: Yeah, they absolutely do have a theory of the case, but math unfortunately gets in the way, which is, uh, you know, 40% or 37% or 42%, whatever you just said is not 50 plus 1%. And I, you know, for every, for every vote of a white non-college, uh, uh, voter that they may excite or bring to the table they may be losing you know one and a half votes on the other side a, a, a voter from suburban philadelphia or, or suburban detroit who took a chance on trump last time and and like you said feels like he's gone too far off the deep end or for that matter a voter of color who didn't vote last time because they weren't excited about hillary clinton or were depressed by the russians or whatever it might be who now has decided that this enough is enough after seeing four years and young of trump. people so, and young people, yeah, you name it. So, so it is not a zero sum game, but there is no doubt in my mind that that is their strategy. Increase white non college voter share, share as high as it can possibly get. I just. I think that as long as Joe Biden continues down this path and as long as Donald Trump continues to fail, it's going to be very hard to keep any Trump voter from 2016 who sort of took a chance on him uh, in the Trump fold. And and as long as Joe Biden is an acceptable alternative, um, they may be adding one here, but losing one or more on the other side. The problem with that
4: strategy, because it's been tried a million times, and basically it, it it comes to it is the strategy. You guys are totally right. But you come up with that strategy because you don't have anything else. Well, we're going to lose this election. Uh-oh, we better get a new election. We got to bring a <laughs> lot of people in. We need a ton of riggers because uh, under the current rules, we're, it's like we're losing the baseball game. We got to add three innings here. Well, you can do it in theory. But as you know, in a presidential year, turning non-voters into voters looks great on the PowerPoint chart. But it's really, really hard to do. Yeah, but
3: Mike, they have some experience, right? They they actually were rewarded for this in 2016.
4: Well, yeah, but you know, they they had the Trump movement; they attracted them. I don't think there's a whole bunch of voters who somehow missed the Trump movement for the last four years and now are deciding to get on. I mean, look, they have to try it because they've got nothing else. It's just really, really hard to do. I mean, you can see it in the convention. All the Minnesotans, they kept parading up. They're desperate. And that's a state they only lost by about 44,000. Republicans always come close there. It's the big dream state. It's just one of the interesting states that's still full of white Democrats, and it's just hard to do. But I I get it. That's their strategy. I just think it's a a choice of last resort rather than a strategically strong choice. And finally, Adesu's right. The demography has killed him. If you just look at who's died and who's become a voter in the last four years, Trump has lost more voters than he's gained because his vote skewed old and white. And a lot of them have gone to the, the MAGA in the sky. And so it's just it, – the headwinds are tremendous. I'd try it too if I were them. But Don't
3: you uh, want to insert your tough. dead people voting in Chicago, Joe? Well, I would say <laughs> the – Other than Gina Raimondo, that's the most – off mentioned line of yours in all of our interactions. Well,
4: uh, I'll quickly do it by No request. no no I'm down. I didn't all I want to still voting about- in Cook County where I predict <laughs> that Biden will narrowly pull off a victory due to the, the hard work of the dead.
3: Florida, man. I wanna talk about Florida yeah, because Florida if, I mean I really see it hard. it's very hard for Trump to put this together without it.
4: Oh we can't
3: and so it's not possible you, you are you are the Republican voters against Trump strategist in Florida. Uh, tell me, you just told me that you, you had, uh, some, uh, you know, you, you saw some, uh, resistance, uh, to your messaging in, um, in some suburban groups. What, what, how do you ses, uh, size up Florida right now?
4: Uh, you know, I, uh, so our org. We, we encourage people to, uh, join up. We've been doing what we call the permission campaign, a a phrase familiar to you, David, from some of the work you've done in the Great Lakes states for a while with real Republicans who make these kind of web ads, and then we push the best ones out on digital. And we've had some success. Our goal is to chip Trump from the... Normal 93 to 96% of the Republican vote, to get them down to the mid-80s, which will be a material difference in a Michigan, Wisconsin, et cetera, Pennsylvania. So we've started this new offensive in Florida. I've worked there a lot, and I have never bought that Trump has a lock on Florida. The state is changing. If you look at the public polling, you go to the, the polling averages from the real clear politics sort of places. You know, Biden's been ahead about, oh, I'd say nine of the last 11 months there. And when Trump's ahead, it's only two points. It's a swing state. It goes narrowly. 13 million, 13, almost 14 million registered voters and about 10 million last time. And the margin was still under 120,000 votes the last two elections. So it, it, it is doable. And one place you have to operate is where the Republicans historically have been better than the Democrats. The R's have won six governor races in a row there. And that, that fulcrum vote, is more moderate, either retired or suburban Republicans, some of whom relocated from the Midwest and other higher tax areas, uh, often on the spine of west, west coast of Florida, all the way down to Collier County from the Tampa Bay area. And then areas, you know, on the Space Coast tends to be a little more conservative, Jacksonville, these pockets. So you, you want to work there, and you want to also get white college-educated independents who act a lot like Republicans when they vote on wallet issues, but don't quite, can't quite take it to say they're Republicans. So, you know, we're, we're, we're doing something we call Operation Orange Crush, and we are focused on those voters, only about 400,000 of them, because uh, we think they're the fulcrum. And, uh, uh, you know, what, what they like about Trump is they think Trump is better for their wallet, and they don't know much about Biden other than decency right now. Um, what they don't like about Trump is the phrase you hear is, I'm tired of being embarrassed which is in some of our advertising that a great kid named Barry Rubin did uh, with Real Republicans, a spot that's testing well. So it's kind of a— Brought the Jewish a, kid
3: in to do Florida,
4: huh? It, well, yeah, well he's, he's, <laughs> doing, he's doing pretty good in Wisconsin, too. Uh, but, but anyway, so that's the jump ball, and that is one thing that has sharpened in my interest— Because I think that this is one thing I didn't like about the Democratic convention. I know everybody in the world liked it. But the woman talking about Trump essentially killing her father because he believed in Trump. Well, I believed every word of that to be true. And because I psychotically hate Trump and have since I dealt them in New Jersey in the early 90s for Governor Whitman. uh, Out there in that world of kind of soft Republicans and independents, they do not blame Trump for COVID. They think it would have been trouble under any president. And so that, that silver bullet, at least in that world, doesn't have quite the power. And they even get a little upset because they think it's unfair to say. So you've got to get their pocketbook. That's who they are. And chaos chaos and safety
3: defend yourself, Adisu.
4: <laughs> no, no, I
2: think i i will I will defend, and actually, Kristen and I went to high school uh, to get to college together. Uh, oh, it's not right. how we found her actually, but uh she's a she's a friend of mine. I hear you, I think this is what Kristen said at the convention and what I think is the truth is that donald trump didn't try to solve the problem. Once it started, <laughs> she told her, she told Kristen's father, it was okay to go back and sing karaoke. And it was okay to go out without a mask and everything was going to be fine. And this thing was going to be, it was taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. And that is mismanagement. And it goes back to what I was saying well, about the economy. Yeah. He yeah. has mismanaged the response to the crisis. It's not that he created it. It's that we are still sitting at home six months later, no better because our president and our federal leadership has failed, and that comes from the top. The and line the was tough, there.
3: though. The line was very—the line—Mike's point, yeah. point is the line— But I hear, be, I hear— But anyway, can I just say about Florida? I want to talk about Florida, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go. Uh, because, you know, there was a piece this morning in uh, Axios, and I, we've been talking about this for some time. The danger of this election is that Democrats are, more cent- uh, are, are being uh, told— to if they want to vote by mail they should because that is that may be the sensible way to do it in a covid era and every poll suggests democrats over over republicans uh, are much more likely to vote by mail the result of it is going to be a lot more republicans are going to vote at the polling place and trump's numbers on election day are going to look um much better than they will at the end and so when the mail ballots get counted over in the days subsequent to the election, his lead will vanish. He will claim fraud. The 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 potential for chaos yeah. is, and the and the thing that could save us is Florida. Yeah, <laughs> because if yeah. Florida they comes count in, past. Florida counts their ballots on election day. Yeah, and if yeah. Florida comes in in or around election day, and it is in Biden's column. It will be clear what the verdict is going to be, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the math, Hillary Clinton, 2016 states
2: plus Florida plus Pennsylvania gets you well above 270 electoral votes. It's two states. (laughs) You know, we talk, and it's not to discount the other swing states that are out there Arizona and Michigan and Wisconsin and potentially Minnesota, uh, et cetera. But Florida and Pennsylvania, and I remember back in 2016 when I was sitting there, were sort of 1-2, 1A, 1B in the states that we cared about back then because there's so many electoral votes, 49 between the two. I agree with you 100%. There's one thing that keeps me up at night. It's the exact scenario that you just talked about, which I'm, I'm familiar with out here in California. I ran Governor Newsom's campaign here. I believe we ended on election night. With about fifty-seven percent of the vote uh, uh, in twenty eighteen, and by the time all the ballots were counted, we were above sixty. So that's how that's California. Obviously, is a state that does a heavy vote by mail, and I think we'll we'll see a more California-like situation in other states.
3: And we've seen more than a few congressional races there where where Democratic candidates were trailing and caught. Oh, totally,
2: yeah. Vote by mail
4: runs California.
2: Yeah. And so the uh, so and that's normal here. We're used to it. Right. But in other states where this might be the first situation uh, uh, where something like that happens, I think Trump is 100 percent going to try to drive a truck through what ultimately is nothing at all. And if we see that kind of movement, it's going to it's going to be scary. But I want everybody who's listening to this to understand totally normal for 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 races to move two three points after Election Day. if You count late (laughs) late arriving uh, vote ballots. That is. That is par for the course for elections for decades in states that have heavy vote by mail.
4: So just to echo a little, the good news about Florida is, one, no Republicans won in 100 years without it. As Adesu just said, you win Florida, you only need one more. You know, you just need to go grab Arizona. There are a million scenarios. With the others, you got to put three-dimensional chess together, which election we're held tomorrow. They do. But Florida plus one wins. Second, Florida's good at absentee. They're used to it. They're used to a heavy absentee ballot, and they they count very quickly because they count as the absentees come in. The other thing is that traditionally, the exit polling for all the problems has had two components. The one everybody talks about, which is, oh, we have people with, you know, boxes on your way into the polls. They also do a late phone poll of absentee ballot voters. And I think the networks ought to report that data very transparently on Election Day as a dual count say here's our estimated absentee vote and here's our election day vote to blur this a little bit and not cover up the absentee ballot because those polls aren't perfect, but they can give you a fairly scientific estimate to balance out the election day reporting. I mean, Network World has to figure out how to cover an election day that now may be a week long, and they are going to have to be some new techniques because otherwise these Bloomberg guys who did the data, I think they are right that in many states you could get a very – only – 60% of the vote counted and reported, which is very different than what the reality can be. So we got to rethink the whole deal or Trump's going to have something he can make a lot of trouble with.
3: Well, as this podcast can't be a week long, I think it's time for the mailbag. (laughs)
2: Let's do it. (laughs)
3: Expert segue, by the way. <laughs> yes. That's
2: why you guys are the hackaroos <laughs> And I'm just a special
4: guest. No, you're you're you
3: fit you fit right in.
4: Okay, it's the magic mailbag here. Thank you, Hackeroos, for sending in your questions. If you have one, send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts. You really help the podcast when you do that. And send us your comments. Okay. Adisu for you from Doug just like team Trump set the bar low for Biden's speech by calling him sleepy and implying he's senile. Doesn't the expectation gap hurt Kamala in the opposite direction? Liberals think her prosecutor chops will destroy Mike Pence, but is the bar set too high and the skillful judiciary committee questioning translate into a good VP debate.
3: It's a good question. I think it's a great
2: question and a really good point. And I think, um, you know that is amongst the political media and political observers right but the folks who are actually watching the debate uh don't know Kamala Harris or do, certainly don't have as as deep an understanding of who Kamala Harris is as as the you know the folks who are going to be shaping opinion afterwards so i don't think that's a that's an incorrect concern i do think we need to be careful with setting expectations for a total obliteration of Mike Pence who is the vice president of the United States was a governor, was a congressman, and is a pretty good debater. He is though. a good
3: debater. We saw that against Tim Kaine, yeah, in, even uh, against 2016. Tim Kaine, he was fine.
4: In- way underestimated, and I think Kamala way overestimated. So this is a
2: good question. I think it's a good question, and it's something that that Democrats should be careful of. This is, you know, we may relish what actually does happen, but we don't want to set the bar too high.
3: Yeah, you you want to buy low and sell high, essentially, on when it comes to the expectations game. Murphy uh, Jennifer says. I always hear that Trump campaigners go after non-college-educated white voters. We just had that discussion. Why is having graduated college considered such a big deal for pollsters?
4: Well, when pollsters analyze the electorate, they like to break it up into groups to kind of show the different pieces of the electorate that campaigns can go after in different ways. And traditionally, Trump has done really, really well with white voters who are non-college-educated. That's been really his core area the voters who in other elections lean Republican who've not been as good for Trump tend to be white voters who have a college education. So there's kind of a big circle around that subgroup of the electorate as a place that has the most opportunity for uh, Democrats who want to appeal voters who don't like Trump's style or his policies off him. So because that seems to be some soft tissue here, uh, a vulnerability for Trump or an opportunity for Biden, that group gets a lot of attention in the polling, and it just so happens that there are other what we call cuts, differences, sex, men, women, you know, you can add two cuts together, college-educated white and female, and then you get a real group where Trump underperforms. It's just a way of zeroing in on electorates that seem to be behaving in a in a, a way that's an opportunity for one side or the other.
3: Well, and let's, let uh, just to put a finer point on this, I mean, uh, Trump is a white cultural warrior, and he and he thrives on the politics of resentment and loss, and uh, and so there are there are among uh, non-college uh, voters, uh, white voters in this country, a sense of besiegement uh, and a sense of loss and a sense of place, a loss of place that Trump just he picks at that scab again and again and again, and that is the that is the core power. Of his politics Uh, so you know if you look at the behavior of voters I mean Trump uh, lost uh, he lost uh, college educated whites he lost uh, voters of color uh, and he rolled up his score among uh, non-college whites and evangelical voters who he got 80% of the vote uh, among and that is his uh, constituency so it's the voters who sort of lead pollsters to their conclusion here
4: No, absolutely. It's Trump's secret sauce, and resentment is the glue. Now, Axe, for you, from Jeff. Oh, a journalism question, warning to viewers. All right. The New York Times and Washington Post do a great job of fact-checking all the president's lies, unquote. But what about papers around the country? Will the demise of the daily press allow politicians to lie with impunity now? What's the solution? Very good question.
3: It is a good question, and it's one that's near to my heart and my concerns as a former uh, reporter for the Chicago Tribune and someone who believes deeply in journalism and the importance of local journalism. Let me just say parenthetically before I answer that question that, you know, the Times, the Post, CNN and others do a great job of fact-checking Trump. The disturbing thing is just how numb we've become to it that uh, there, you know, he doesn't appear to pay a penalty for uh, telling untruths. The alternative facts uh, approach that he has, uh, you know, as largely, um, has largely worked for him. That, that's not to say that he shouldn't be called on it. He should, but we ought to also demand more uh, from our public officials. And there is real danger when public officials don't tell truth. Look at this COVID-19 uh, mm-hmm. crisis that has been made worse because the president hasn't leveled with the American people about the severity uh, of the situation. In terms of local journalism, we've seen thousands of local news outlets across the country, uh, fail. And, uh, we have news deserts across this country, uh, in which, uh, there is no one shining a bright light in the dark corners of local governments of, uh, county governments, of state governments. And um, that is of real concern. Uh, That is a real threat to our democracy. And what we've seen are, uh, uh, you know, we've seen uh, ideologically oriented, uh, uh, you know, corporations buying up uh, at bargain basement basement prices, local news stations, and Sinclair being the lead one uh, to try and proselytize rather than report in many cases. This is a danger. And in terms of what the answer is, we need, uh, you know, both altruistic uh, people who want to support their local communities and want good journalism to step up and buy uh, news organizations. Not for profit journalism has become more and more uh, powerful across the country. But we need to find and, and obviously at the end of the day, a, uh, a subscription model uh, that works for local a news organizations the way it does for the Post and the Times would be uh, would be very very helpful. But it's a slog. It's hard. It's a threat to our democracy. And I'm glad you raised it.
2: Yeah. Can I just add uh, real quick on that? I I want to underscore. I think the federal officials will be we we can hold them to account because of national news organizations because of whether it be cable news or newspapers like the Tribune or the New York Times or what have you. It is the to me the local the state that's where the danger is is real which is there are folks who are controlling big budgets making huge decisions over everything from policing to hospitals in our in our neighborhoods and in our cities that now have nobody uh watching watching over them except for you know vigilant citizens and so i would just encourage folks to subscribe to your local newspapers mm-hmm. as you were just saying David. And, and also if you want to be a citizen journalist yourself and do so in a, in a not alternative facts way, um, it's not nothing to engage. It's going to require citizens to engage in their politics at the local level, even more than, than at the federal level, because we're all that stands between, um, between you know, a government that's working for us and the government that's working in the dark corners, like you said, this is something I can totally agree with. The problem, particularly in Thank local God, government, is, by, <laughs> is you know, I, look, I, I
4: hate the damn liberal press as much as any good conservative, but the but the problem is. Without the threat of bad publicity, there's no deterrent in local and state government to real trouble. It's set up for real trouble. And the other problem is people say, oh, we have the the social media, the internet. Yeah, we have all that. And it can have a role, but it's not curated. So there's a lot of crap on it. And what what good journalism does is curate this stuff so you as a citizen can do your damn job and find the truth and act on it. So this is a growing crisis. And I, I couldn't agree more. And that was a great Question. Last call.
3: To uh, people who uh, want to go out and protest uh, in a peaceful way, that is part of the American way. But to those who, who have other ideas, you're not helping anything here. You're really not helping anything here. And I hope you'll reconsider. That's my last call.
4: I'll add a quick Republican version of that. Protesting is great, it's what liberty is all about. But throw a brick. Uh, I'm okay if you're going to jail,
2: and can I make a a a quick uh pitch today? Tuesday, the first is national poll worker recruitment day oh yeah, and uh I the one of the organizations I work with more than a vote is starting to launch a, an effort to recruit young people, young people of color to work the polls. We cannot let our grandmothers and grandfathers and aunties and uncles be the ones who are working the polls this year. So if you are a young person in particular, I'd like to consider myself one still. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if you are in your twenties and your thirties um, and you have the ability to work the polls in your, uh, in your neighborhood and make sure that we have a smoothly running election in a nonpartisan way, I just encourage everybody out there to please go do that. Power the is uh, an organization that we're partnering with to recruit point you in the right direction and make sure that your election runs smoothly and not just do your civic duty, but in some places actually get paid for it.
3: Great note. And by the way, you're um, you're much older than you were when this podcast began. So. <laughs> Murphy, good to Alrighty. see you, brother. I'll see you next week.
4: All right, guys. Thank you. Good to see you. Uh,
3: DeSue, we hope you'll come back often. See
4: you. Take care. Bye-bye.